All right, what is up, everyone, and welcome to episode 22 of the Run Happy podcast. We are here today with uh, D2 runner Uriah Ali. It's actually, it's actually D, or, Queens is D1. Oh, Queens are D1 now. They're, uh, D1 you guys now. are in the middle of the switch, am I correct? I think they, they just yes, switched. Yes, yeah? we switched, uh, I want to say, two years ago. Um, right. But yeah, so currently now I'm running Division One. Uh, never thought I'd be running Division One. to be honest. It was never on my radar. It was never kind of uh, what what I thought was going to happen. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you how I got into Division One. Um, but right out of high school, uh, I, I went to I went to high school in Upper Michigan. So I am a Uper. Um, that's what we call ourselves up in the UP. So we're we're a skip away from Canada, um, just right on the lake up there. And so right out of college or right out of high school, um, didn't really start running till I was late in high school, around uh, junior senior year. My junior summer going into my senior year is when I first started really getting after training for the first time. And it was nothing crazy. Uh, I think the most amount of miles I did in high school is 25, 25 miles a week. Um, so not a lot. Uh, so when I went into college, it was a big difference, but I went to Holy Family, which is a private school that was in Manitowoc, Wisconsin. I went there for one year. I competed in the cross country season. I qualified for NAIA nationals. Um, as an individual qualifier. And uh, then the next semester after that, COVID act happened. Of course, we know that. And COVID uh, actually made the school go bankrupt. So they completely shut down. Whoa. So it was kind of unexpected. I knew I wanted to be there for two years and then transfer somewhere else uh, just because it's it was a tiny school. There wasn't a lot of facilities, but had a great experience there. Loved the coach, loved my teammates. So then they shut down. And so I went to Wisconsin Parkside, which is in Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, just 40 minutes south of Milwaukee. And uh, I got lucky landing landing there. Uh, my coach helped me out when that school shut down to find a new home. And uh, they were Division Two, So I was like, oh, this is it's a good step up. And the team was great at the time. Uh, they're still great now. And like sad to leave it. And uh, but I had to do it my own thing. So I ended up at at Parkside and then I ran there for three years, got my undergrad. And I got my undergrad in uh, sport management and a coaching minor. So then going into grad school, I still have right now I have an indoor and then I have one more. I actually have two indoor seasons and an outdoor season of eligibility. I'm out of cross country, unfortunately. Um, I'm going to really miss running cross country, but I'll run unattached. So I'm, I'm currently running this indoor season here at Queens. And then I'm redshirting the outdoor season, training all fall with the team. And then I'm finishing my last semester um, on the indoor and outdoor season. I'm also uh, getting my MBA here. So that's what I'm studying right now. And uh, it's a different, different, different atmosphere for sure. Dude, that's, that's a, that's a lot, honestly. And uh, the fact that, I mean, you're that NAIA school got shut down. Uh, what, what school was that again? It was Holy Family. Uh, their name was Silver Lake. So Silver Lake's probably what you'll find online. And then they switched their names, but then they shut down right after that. So uh, that is wild. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So like during that, um, well, actually, yeah, I guess going to uh, Parkside and then going to Queens, like what made you like feel the need to take the step up to D Division One, and like, you know, yeah. how did all that go? Yeah. So um, like I said, I wasn't really planning on going Division One When I entered the transfer portal, I talked with my coach, which uh, my coach is the head coach at Parkside is Nick Moss. 
great guy. He really helped uh, me develop as a runner and get to the level I'm at now. And um, so I knew I had a little bit of eligibility and I didn't want to do my master's at um, Parkside just because grad school is a little bit more expensive and my scholarship wouldn't cover as much as I'd like. And the school or that team is growing. Like we went from 30 athletes when I got there to now like 70 people on the track team. So the, the money fund or the money pool was uh, slim. And I knew that and I didn't want to really pressure my coach to give me more money. And I was just like, coach, I think I'm going to enter the portal, see what other options I got out there. I'm not like itching to leave. Like if I don't find something that makes sense, I'm just going to stay here and I'll just pay whatever I need to. Um, and he was like, you know what, you're right. I'm all for it. He was very supportive. And he actually helped me land the position I am here at uh, Queens because he knows the head coach, uh, Jake Krolluck. He's the head coach here at Queens. But I talked to so many schools. Uh, and I was originally thinking Division Two because I didn't think I was good enough for, you know, uh, um, a full Division One scholarship. But I so I, I talked to a bunch of bunch of D2s and uh, I was really close to going to Northwood or Saginaw or um, Charleston, West Virginia, or yeah, Charleston, that's in West Virginia, D2 schools. But I also got reached out to by some division ones. Like I talked to Arkansas State, Arkansas, Alabama, and just like crazy schools. I'm just like, what's going on here? And so it was great to talk to them, but uh, they couldn't really offer me anything that would help me. It was like, I was like, okay, fine. That's, that's totally fine. Like I, it was nice to talk to you guys, but Queens was actually the very first school. Once I entered the portal, 20 minutes later, I got an uh, email from the head coach, had a Zoom call with him that night. And so we got things started. And then like, I didn't talk to them for about a month, maybe two months, because I was talking to all these other schools trying to figure it out. And then eventually I cut the list down to like a top 10 and then a top five. And then once I got to three schools between the three, I had... Um, it was two division twos and Queens and everyone offered me a full tuition scholarship. And I'm like, man, uh, I don't really know where I want to go. I want to make division two Nats division one's kind of a stretch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> cause these guys are ridiculous, uh, at this, at this stage. So, uh, I just, I just ended up getting lucky. Uh, kind of one thing I want to do on my Instagram is talk about like that process of like what school makes sense. How do you pick the right school out of high school? Cause like myself, I had no knowledge. I grew up without internet. Um, I didn't have a phone. I didn't have a computer. I actually did not even have like internet. So okay. the only exposure I had was in high school. It was in school, like when I'm, you know, actually at, at, <laughs> at the school. So I didn't have really any knowledge and I didn't know where I was going. So I ended up at Holy Family because, you know, that coach gave me the most interest and I just enjoyed that. But now I have all this knowledge of running in private school, D2 and division one. And I know exactly the standards and the times it takes to be at each one. Uh, so that's something I want to talk, like do eventually. But right now I just, I got really lucky in this situation and grateful to be here. And it's a, uh, it's going to be a, a big uh, shock to the system Friday when I'm in a race with a bunch of eight Oh three K guys. Um, so, it's, but now I'm here, it's ready to rock and roll. Dude, that's a really cool story. I like that a lot. And I especially like that we we haven't talked to too many people about that, like college decision process. And I think it's so important for high schoolers to realize that like, obviously I know you've ended up D1 or bu uh, like not D1 or bust, but I know you've ended up D1, but like, yeah, so many high schoolers, you know, in high school say, oh, it's D1 or bust. I can't, I can't do anything 
below deep right? water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, yeah. It was, uh, it, it is a topic of discussion that needs to be had um, high school coaches to their, to their athletes. Um, but like for me, I, I also had that same vision. Like I didn't want to go division one, but I also thought like, man, if I don't go D one, like it's yeah. D one or bust. I, and I hear that so much, so many times. Um, but I, in high school, so little bit about my high school training and, uh, this might, I have some crazy stories on what the high school training looked like. And a lot of high schoolers are going to be in the same boat with PRs and times and kind of guessing where they need to be in order to fit in well at a division one program or fit in well at a D2, D3 or a private school. Cause no matter what route you take, it's you against the clock. Like it literally is you against the clock and it doesn't matter where you're at. You can become the best on a dirt road. You don't need crazy facilities. You don't need anything special. And that's something I'm learning now. But now that I've gotten this opportunity, I'm, I'm grateful for it, but you definitely don't need it. You definitely don't need it. Well, yeah, like, uh, I guess give us like some examples. Like, I mean, you're, you're obviously saying this with experience. So what, like, what kind of stuff did you do for training that like, you know, just shows that, you know, you don't need those fancy facilities to, to be a great athlete. Okay. So, um, this is a, like I said, I grew up in upper Michigan and up there, uh, there is no rubberized tracks. There's no facilities. Um, I didn't even have internet. Uh, a lot of, most people do. I was just a rare case. Um, but in terms of what you need to become good, all you need is a, a strong mind and a strong will to get to that, to get to where you need. Um, you just need to set a goal, realistically know um, the progress it takes to get there by looking at people ahead of you, um, talking to other people who've been there, done that. Um, so like I said, I, I was doing high jump and pole vault, uh, my, my freshman sophomore year. Uh, and then my sophomore year, uh, I broke both my wrists, uh, at the same time I was, uh, trying to dunk a basketball in front of my (laughs) basketball coach. And this was like start of track season, like spring. And like, I'm five, nine, so I'm a, I'm a short guy and I'm, I'm going up, I go for a, a dunk and, uh, you know how it's breakaway rims. My momentum kept swinging and I fell flat from 10 feet right to the ground, broke both my wrist and chipped my tooth right in half. So that was like the end. That was the end of weightlifting. That was the end of football. That was the end of me trying to think of all those other things, because with that, I'm it sucks that it happened, but it was also a good thing that it happened to me because uh, I ran track that season with two broken, <laughs> I ran track with two casts on. Uh, and then uh, later that uh, outdoor season, I ended up pole vaulting at the very end. And uh, so I went to state for pole vault and for the two mile. So, cause I was focusing more on running than I was on, on a like high jump and stuff that I wasn't good at. (laughs) So I I ended up doing decent. I didn't do well. So I would say my junior year, I think my PR in the two mile was 10 thirties, like 10 thirties. So nothing great. I think I ran a two Oh seven, 800. Um, (laughs) so not great times, um, as you guys know. And so that's where I was at as a junior. So like, there's going to be a lot of high schoolers who are in that same boat, ran 1030s, two O's, you know, they think college is not really uh, going to happen for running. But then I met um, a personal coach of mine, Patrick Toit. He was uh, just watching my brother and I 
uh, race up in the UP. And he's like, you guys got some talent. Let me, let me show you guys how to train. So, um, like I said, we had no idea. Uh, our coaches were like most high school coaches. They're there to organize, get the, get you to meets. They didn't really know how to train properly. So, uh, this guy, Patrick Toy, he, uh, he had my brother and I, we would do hurdle drills and we would do heart rate training, which I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that, but heart rate training is purely based off of what your heart is doing. So you have to have a heart rate monitor and that's about it because you have to know exactly what your heart's doing. So like I said, I would do 25 miles a week at max. Um, but the key part of my training was in the hurdle drills. So you set up five to 10 hurdles and you would do 500 uh, hurdle drills, whether you go over them, sideways, backwards, under them. And I did that every day, um, 500 of them. Five, and then 500? I would, 500 of them. Oh my and I gosh. didn't run. Uh, so you don't need to run to be fast. That's one thing I figured out. It's being healthy, being consistent. So I did 500 hurdles uh, with no weights on my ankles. Um, and then I, after about a month of doing that, I went to two pounds in each ankle. So then I would go over the hurdles again. 500 times with two pounds. And then I progressed and I got more and more strength in my hip flexors and with all of just everything you need for muscle recruitment for running, because you're focusing on knee drive and like the hurdles would be right at the perfect uh, height to where if you stood on them, like it's right there on your crotch, like it's that height right there. So I eventually worked up to 10 pounds in each ankle going over the hurdles 500 times. Um, and I, I'll tell you what, I've never felt so like so strong. And uh, so that's that's what I did in high school. And I learned this from this guy, Patrick uh, Toy, who's a he is a crazy, crazy guy that uh, I, I don't have enough time. To, we don't have enough time to explain kind of his story. But uh, he's just a guy who loves loves training, loves thinking outside the box. He's got his own vitamin company where he sells vitamin K, which is like uh, promotes cardiovascular health to older patients. So he kind of has a lot of, uh, knowledge on biochemistry and nutrition. So he helped my brother and I out with picking what supplements to use. Uh, and just, he really shaped how we were going to think that we could become the best. So he told me, uh, when we started working with him, he goes, how does being a state champion sound? And I'm like, sounds good. And I, I at that time I'm 1030 and 207 and 800. And uh, he goes, well, uh, you do this, you'll become a state champion. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, sure I am. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, sure enough, I, I kept doing what he was doing. And it only took one year of me actually doing it. But uh, I would go out after doing my hurdles. I'd go out, some, like every other day, I'd run 45 minutes. And what I'd do is I'd get my heart rate up to 160 beats per minute, roughly. Um, so it doesn't matter how fast you're going. For me, that was like, six and a half minute pace um at that time and i would get my heart rate up to um 160 hold it for 45 minutes you burn off all your glycogen storages and then i would sprint as hard as i could and i'd get my heart rate up to 200 beats per minute and the idea is the first time you get your heart rate to its max you can hold it for five seconds so then okay i did that i ran got my heart at 200 beats i'm looking at my heart rate monitor and then i collapsed right on the ground face planet um so then i'm like wow that hurt called up my coach told him he goes good he goes okay now tomorrow go do the hurdles no running 
and then we'll take another stab at it the next day. So then I continue to do that. And then the next day, the 48 hours later, I was able to go 10 seconds and then right on your face. Um, so then, you know, fast forward a month, two months, you can hold your heart rate at 200 beats per minute for, I don't know, a minute, two minutes. And that's all I did. And it came out to like 20, sometimes I would even hit 15 miles a week. Like there's really, <laughs> so I really wasn't doing that much. It was just, everything was quality over quantity. And it was focusing on recruiting the right muscles for running and recruiting your heart because let's, let's face it. Like if your heart doesn't pump what it needs to, you're not going to be fit enough to win races. Uh, so I mixed that with just being a competitor, wanting to win. So my senior year, I went into that or like going into that summer after a, I've been doing this training. Uh, I was like, dang, I could, I could do something here. So I was like, how about not losing a race? So I didn't lose a race my whole senior year. Um, I ended up winning the cross country title. Uh, and that I won it in like 1701, which doesn't sound fast, but this is the UP and it was 29 or 29 degrees, 30 mile an hour winds in a blizzard. So that's, uh, so I ended up running that. And then I was like, okay, well, I still want to continue doing basketball because I love basketball and you're only in high school once. So for the kids who are deciding, ah, I'm going to stop basketball and go, go train full for track. I get it. That's what I thought. But I was like, I'm only going to get this once in my life, really. So I continue to play basketball. It was a great season. We uh, won the district title for the first time in 15 years. I hit the game winner buzzer beater. So Boom. I got, I got that experience and I'm so glad I stayed in it. So crazy story with how I trained in basketball. So going into my senior year of track. So this is December or, you know, November, December, the basketball season, January, I would uh, go to practice after school at three o'clock and I'd go play basketball for two hours practice. And then I'd run home after that. So I live six miles from home. So I would just give my sister my school bag, my books, and then uh, I would have my running shoes. I had ice bugs uh, that have like steel studs in the bottom so you can run on the snow and the ice and not slip uh, because we get hundred, hundreds of inches of snow up in the, in the UP. So it's, it's brutal conditions. So I just bundle up after basketball practice and run home, uh, which nobody was doing that. Like nobody. I don't think I've heard of anybody doing that after basketball practice. So with that, though, you got to be careful because nutrition is a big point. Uh, hydration, I didn't really, I wasn't really following along. So I actually almost died a few times uh, running back home. Uh, and I'll tell you, I'll tell yeah, you. Please uh, explain. Yeah. So um, after basketball practice, sometimes I can remember vividly several times where it was zero degrees, 10 degrees. And I didn't care. I was like, ah, I'm just going to bundle up a little bit more. So after basketball practice, I remember this happened twice to me. Um, the first time it happened, uh, I didn't really pay too much attention. But what happened was I would uh, practice for about two hours and you have lunch earlier in the day at like noon. So the last meal I had was like three hours before that practice. And then I practiced for two hours, sweat a bunch, not drink enough water and then run home. So I there was a few runs where I started cramping up like I'm almost home. Uh, I would be like three miles from home, two miles from home. And like where I'm in the middle of the sticks, like there is no nothing. There's no cars. There's no street lamps or street. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no light. So I'd throw a headlamp on 
and uh i would start cramping up i'm like oh geez like oh i better make it home and then i made it home the first time i'm like okay well whatever and then the next time i do that i heard wolves that night too so like you would hear wolves howling in the in the background and uh so i knew that was coming on so i'd actually run with like a little uh like a little knife because i knew that okay if i run into a wolf what's gonna happen here like this is my only chance i'm probably gonna die anyway so uh the next week i ended up doing that again and i actually cramped up so bad in the mid i was in the middle of nowhere like there was no light that way no light this way and i cramp up really bad and my legs can't move and it's zero degrees outside so all my sweat's starting to freeze and i'm on the middle of the ground i'm middle of the road i should say middle of the road and I can't move and it's zero degrees. And I'm like, I'm screwed. I don't have a phone. There's no cars. What's going to happen. <laughs> and then oh, I hear the wolves in the background. I'm like, Oh no. So I'm just laying there and I'm like, well, this is it. So, uh, I threw up a prayer. I was like, uh, I was like, <laughs> I was basically like, God, uh, this is a good way to go. Um, but if you can help these legs get back to normal, I, I would be able to make it home and be fine. So I, uh, I did that. And seconds later, my legs just uncramped themselves. I don't know how I get up and I have the best last three miles of my life. It was wonderful. So that was, we, all right. You've been talking for like, what, I don't know, five se or something like seven minutes. And it seems like everything you have said is just mind blowing to me. <laughs> and I'm sure Charlie too, but like, this is, so we have to unpack all of this because I feel like if you keep talking, <laughs> we're going to just skip over all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so you for track and cross country, uh, this coach, Patrick to toy toy toy. Yep. Patrick toy. He got you to run 15 miles a week and then do 500 hurdle drills every day. Yeah. That's how you became, like a, a state champion in cross and yes like and i'm assuming track yes yeah that in track i in, tr in track i uh i won three state titles uh which i don't think has ever been done um in any state i mean the up is its own thing but uh it's never been done up there either uh i've so i won three state titles and then set all three of the d3 state records but i also won out of all divisions division one two and three. Oh, dang. Uh, and that's... that was all in the same day um dude that... like, that's got to be like the most out of the box outside the box thinking for training and like i'm thinking about it and I've, like i've never heard of anyone doing this we, and like i've never heard like that little mileage work but i'm thinking about it and like the base that your hips must have had must have oh, been like my. so strong like, yes. I mean, we talk because, like, obviously we talk about hip training and some people do it, like, three days a week or whatever. But, like, you know, doing that every day, like... 500. We, like, you're, like, your hips must... Li like, you're not... Like, your form's going to be so good. And, like, oh, you're, yeah. you're going to hold together so well because of all of those drills. And, I mean, like, obviously you're saying yep. right there, like... I mean, that's so... That's so interesting to me. I've never yeah. heard of anyone ever doing this or, like... I don't, this is... It's... That's one of the craziest things I've ever heard. And then, like... And then, of course, we get to basketball season. Then you almost died running home, like, twice. Yeah. Like, that's just – that's crazy. I don't know. Like, I don't know. This is this is absurd. Love um, it. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> so but, the the idea with the, the hurdle training and the heart rate training is, yes, you, you want to have the biggest stride length. So 
one thing too that we really wanted to focus on uh or the patrick relayed to us was imagine your let's just say an easy number let's say your stride length is five foot each step and once you end up doing all these hurdle drills and building your muscle recruitment you actually increase your stride length without breaking your form or without losing any speed so your five foot stride length goes to five foot two and then five foot three and then five foot four. And imagine in a mile race, you take however many thousand steps and however many inches it is around the track. Now you've increased your stride length by X amount. So therefore you just decrease the number of steps you need to take per lap. And therefore, you know, you're faster at the end, just off of stride length alone. And then you mix that with the heart rate training. So then you can get to the line without bonking and or breaking your form. Because when you, when you guys are experiencing in a race, like, oh, I'm tying up, I'm starting to fall back. It's because your heart isn't keeping up with the, the output that your body's giving. So you mix the hurdles with heart rate training. So then you can get to the finish line, excuse me, exactly when, when you need to. So the, the, the idea is whatever distance it is. So 800, two minutes. Uh, let's just say that's roughly how long it takes you. If you can recruit four minutes of heart rate training, you could be world-class, but if you can recruit two minutes of heart rate training, you're going to, you're going to win every race because <laughs> not a lot of people are doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I've got two things here. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you're, um, so obviously you were talking about stride length and that's really interesting to me. So, did you guys ever speak about cadence? Was that important, like to increase stride length but keep the same cadence, or was that like, were you guys mainly? Did you guys mainly think the stride length was, you know, more more important the way to go? Yeah, so we actually didn't think of cadence, and cadence does, uh, like it is a common term, or people do th- look at their cadence because their watches sometimes will have it. But no, we didn't. We didn't think of cadence at all, just because we knew that. Uh, doing hurdle drills is going to improve your form. So my form was nasty, like going into it. It was not pretty. Um, So doing all these drills and all these other things, it actually forces you to run uh, mechanically correct. So then everything is sound, right? Um, And that that was the idea. So my cadence actually stayed the same. My cadence stayed the exact same. But uh, I you know, had a longer stride length and more powerful, powerful stride than, than I, I mean, I probably had a more powerful stride then than I do now, because in college, uh, you, I'm following my college coach's plans. I still work really closely with Pat. Um, we talk a lot about nutrition supplements and, uh, mental strategies, stuff like that. So, but when I'm done with college and I'm, um, done running in the NCAA, I'm actually going to go back to that training with the current knowledge I have in, you know, NCA training, because we know that in NCAA, there's tons of miles. There's a ton, tons of miles. Some people think the more miles, the better. And that's just simply not the case. Um, and you can, you can look at all the guys who've gotten injured. Uh, almost every single person who goes through NCA has gotten injured at one point. And that begs the question of why, um, and it's it's a it's a hard question to ask, but it's because of the training and the nutrition and everything uh, related to it. So the idea with the hurdles and the low mileage and going quality training over quantity 
is to stay healthy and not get hurt. And that was one thing Pat always said was don't get hurt because you're useless if you're hurt. Like you're actually, you can't really, you can't run, you can't do anything if you're hurt. And it's, it's like, once you hear it, you're like, my, 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 that's, that makes sense. That's right. Um, so yeah, when, once I'm done with uh, college training, I'm going to go back to that. And, uh, but I also have a lot of knowledge in like this type of training. People have become world-class off of 70 miles a week, hundred miles a week, even 120. Um, for example, uh, Sam Blanks, the Harvard guy, he talks about how he's high mileage and uh, his story is like starting to come out uh, or a lot of people are starting to pay attention to it. But then on the other hand, you got Parker Valby who won the, the women's title and she did it the opposite way. Yeah. Um, so you can do it or you can become world-class uh, no matter what you do, but you have to do it right. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the NC, like the type of training that you do in college is not uh, like it's hard to imitate what the best are doing because we don't have all the resources they to have. We don't have, you know, all of the nutrition care. We don't have all the massages that are coming. We don't have, we don't have a lot of things that they have in order to make this type of training work. And that's why a lot of people get hurt. Mm -hmm. I mean, you get hurt in the pro level too. Like a lot of people get hurt. So my idea is I want to, I want to train and not get hurt. So then I could be consistent for mm -hmm. months and months and then years and years. And then eventually, you know, hopefully, hopefully really, really become fast. Cause right yeah. now I've ran decently fast and it's a, it's thanks to the training I'm doing now. Thanks to the coaches that have helped me. Um, oh, yeah, but, let, let's talk a little bit more about like how you have improved in your, your college years. Like you went, you know, from, you know, high school doing all this, uh, like training with your, your hip flexor and hurdle mobility and everything to now you're like you at Parkside, you went, uh, and, scored in four of the events you did at conference like you ran the mile on the dmr uh you ran the mile and the 800 and the the 400 and you scored in all of those and i mean you also have a, a mile pr of what 407 is that right yeah. yeah so like i mean explain to us like how that progression looked for you especially like uh going from yeah. know, high school to college um well i think i've been very fortunate to be able to run um all ranges so like i i have good speed and i have good endurance and i think it's thanks to the way i started training um because a lot of people either they're like strictly speed or they're strictly endurance not a lot of people have all of it in between and i think the training that i did in high school allowed me to keep my my you know speed but also i was able to build my endurance a lot um from doing doing more miles doing doing a lot of uh workouts that focused on you know, your 5k, 10k pace rather than just going, going all out, you know? Um, so yeah, with, with that, um, with that story there, uh, two years ago, last conference, I didn't do that exact combo. Uh, last conference I did the DMR mile 800, but I actually ended up breaking my foot right in the mile. And then I still ran the 800 after, but the year prior, I, uh, I ran the DMR and I split 415 and I split 415 because like we were already 20 meters behind second place and then 20 meters ahead of fourth place. So I was just like looking around. My coach was like, chill, chill. Like you're good. Let's save it for the mile. So I ended up splitting 415 at like seven, eight at night and then get up in the morning. And then I run the mile. Uh, I want to say like 11 in the morning and I ran 410. Uh, and that I'm still frustrated with the 410 because I lost 
count of the laps uh, on the 300 meter track. Uh, so that's a little, that's on me. That's on me. But uh, yeah, I didn't even kick. I was like, came through and I, well, I kicked with like 50 meters to go. Cause then my coach is like, what are you doing? Like go. So I ran 410 and then one hour later I ended up running 153 flat. And then another 30 minutes later, I ended up splitting 49 in the, in the 400. Those, that was one of the days where I'm just like, wow, this is, that was awesome. Like that, I was really happy with that day. It was, but to be able to run sub 50 in a 400 and then also go and run, you know, fast distance times, I was, I was pretty happy with that. Now that's insane diversity right there. Well, yeah, I was going to ask, like, do you think that those, like, um, because obviously the heart rate training you're doing, um, getting your heart rate up that high for like two minutes or whatever. Um, and like those types of hurdle mobility drills. I mean, that's really good for like, not only like distance, but that's really good for fast twitch. Do you think that's yeah. kind of played into why you're, um, you know, you know, you've got so much range and you're actually like, I'm, I'm like looking at these times, you're obviously probably slightly more um, mid distance, if I'm correct. Yeah. Do you think that's, you know, do you think that that original base you have is kind of why you're slightly more to the mid distance side? Yeah. Yeah. I would say uh, I'm more of the mid distance because also I, like, I really enjoyed the mile. Um, I, I was like, like to my coach uh, at Parkside that I just really wanted to focus on the mile. So I never really ran three Ks and never really ran five Ks or 10 Ks on the track. Um, but yeah, I would definitely classify myself as a mid distance runner right now. Um, it's, I, I just love it. The, the mile is just such a, such a popular event in our sport. And it's like, there's so much hype around breaking four minutes in a mile. And there's so much hype about just that race. So I, that's why I really wanted to do it. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So like, do you like, I mean, are you, I don't know. I said that weird. Um, are you planning on trying to break for this year in, at Queens? Yeah, that was, uh, another, um, like decision factor in my, uh, transfer was, Parkside was a great spot for me to get to where I am now, but uh, the, all the races that I'm in, I'm not in sub four races. I'm not training with guys who are also running 407. Like Parkside was like, I had teammates who did great and they, they improved. Um, I helped them improve. And then eventually they, they all kind of caught up to me and then they were giving me runs for my money and in practices. So, uh, but I knew that if I wanted to make another jump, I need to be in an environment that, uh, you know, I'm training with guys who are better than me and or the same. So going here to Queens, there's like eight guys on the team who are sub 410 in the mile. Uh, and yeah, I really do want to break four minutes a mile. That's the next thing I want to do. Uh, like it could happen this year, but I mean, it's going to be very, I'm going to have to do everything right in order to break it this year, but, or this indoor season, this outdoor season, I'm going to really, really try to make a stab at it, try to get in some road races, run unattached in some races as well. Cause I'm red shirting the outdoor season. Um, but break, breaking four minutes a mile is the next thing I really want to do. And, uh, I don't want to be the guy who's like, looks back and says, Oh, I almost did it. Or I ran four Oh one. Uh, and everyone, like, it's so easy to get caught in that loop of I'll do it next season. I'll do it next season. And I found myself saying that on certain times and certain goals that I had, and I just know that if I really want to do this, I can't be thinking I'm going to do it next year. So even though this year is a tough stretch, I, I have to give it a stab and I have to train as if I'm going to do it. And I have to fully believe that I'm capable of doing it because 
I'm definitely capable of it. I just have to put everything together, stay healthy, be smart about my training and then execute the race plans. Uh, but yeah, break, breaking four minutes is I got to do it. Like I got to do it for the people back home, for the people who've been. And that's one thing now is I'm, I don't really run for myself that like right now, my ma main motivation isn't just me wanting to do it. It's a big part of it. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, you know, my family has just been super supportive. They just, they hype me up so much. My hometown hypes me up so much, my old teammates and the people I'm currently with. So like, I feel like it'd just be a disservice to them if I didn't at least give it my absolute best. And if you don't accomplish something, but you gave it your absolute best, you, you can't be disappointed. So that's, that's kind of where, where my motivation stands right now and what uh, my next goal is. But yeah, well, that's that's actually really interesting that you you brought that up about like how you you don't really run for you do run for yourself, but you're doing it more for your family and everything. Because I'm not gonna lie, I feel like I've heard more people say that you should run only for yourself and not for anyone else. Because I feel like that that can put a lot of unneeded pressure. Mm -hmm. But it seems that for you that you're actually thriving with all of that. Um, and like I don't know what is what is your kind of like mindset from all of that because you know a lot of people put we'll say that that's a lot of pressure that can really get pinted up and you know they can they can break under that pressure like how do you see that as a positive thing yeah no you're right i have heard that too and i know uh i have close friends who also are in that same boat who you know they stopped running because um everyone else wanted them to do it and they didn't really want to do it so i think it stems from you have to want it yourself you still have to absolutely want it yourself. And even if nobody was there cheering you on, you're still going to do it. But yeah, for me personally, having that support system has helped me grow to where I'm at and just keep and keeps me motivated. Um, it's, it's, it's a mix of both things. Um, I think you can get caught up in it too much. If you're, if you're only trying to satisfy the people who are watching, you're not going to satisfy yourself. But if you're only trying to satisfy yourself, you might miss out on, um, you know, taking the, the extra boost of motivation from the people who do support you. Um, and I've, I've been fortunate to have a good support system. Um, and not everyone has that same support system. So I can understand, you know, getting stuck in, in the wrong, wrong belief system or the wrong motivation for why you're going to continue running. But that's something you have to find out personally for yourself. Is just what motivates you, what drives you. And then once you know it, you just capitalize on it. That's, that's what you got, you know, because you can't really change what, what you got. Yeah. I love that. I mean, yeah, it's finding out what works for you mentally, I guess. And I um, mean, I mean, you know, pivoting from that, you know, do you, uh, are you someone that gets pre-race anxiety or pre-race nerves? And if, if so, how do you handle that? Um, yeah. And, I mean, if, if, if not, then what are you telling yourself kind of like pre-race and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, pre-race nerves. It, it definitely is real. <laughs> it definitely hits me hard. Um, and I think that's a good thing because you step up to the level of expectation when, you know, you're getting excited for things. You're the adrenaline is kicking in. So for me, I actually will not get nervous at all before a race, uh, going, going into one until exactly two hours later or two hours before two hours before the race, because I have a routine where, you know, I'll put a, I'll drink a bubbler and then I will have some of the greatest stuff known to man, Nick Simmons run gum <laughs> <laughs> um, 
you guys, I'm sure you guys have tried that stuff out. I love it. Um, so two hours before the race, um, I will, I'll like take my last big chugs of water, um, have my, have a little bit of caffeine. You can't have too much though, because you get busted in the NCA for having too much in your system. So I, uh, I would always do that. But when I'm, when I'm cracking open the bubbler or when I'm breaking open the, the run gum, I know things are getting serious and I start shaking and I don't shake because of caffeine because it's not even in my system yet, but I will start to shake and I'll just, my legs will be shaking. I'll be trying to have a conversation with someone and I'm all jittery. Um, and then once the warm up starts, it kind of dialed in, kind of dialed in and usually the warm ups an hour to 45 minutes out. But yeah, the nerves hit me real hard, but I also, I just love it. Like that feeling is what, you know, keeps me coming back being nervous and being really excited for a race. And then once you actually execute your race plan and give it your best shot, you're after the race, you're just like, there's no more, no more pressure. You just, you know, look back at what you did and reanalyze and then make a new plan for the next race. Um, but yeah, I, I love pre-race nerves, but it does get the best of some people. It's, it's hard to control it, but oh, you know, yeah. everyone's got their own system. No. Yeah. It's no, yeah. Pre-race nerves is in like, yeah, that can that can cripple people, and I mean, it's really interesting that you, you're 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 just like, yeah, I can't wait for that to happen, or like, and you've literally got such yeah. a such a system that you know once you start doing something, your body like just instantaneously knows like, oh, yeah. okay, something's about to happen, like we're we're getting to that time, and like it literally will start shaking, like that is, I don't know, that's actually kind of crazy, and like when did uh when did all that start really like did that start in high school or you know was that a college thing? Yeah, it definitely started in high school. Uh, like I, but like in high school, I didn't even win a race until my senior year, so I wasn't really too nervous uh, when I wasn't winning. But now that uh, when I started winning, it was like, okay, I don't want to, don't want to lose now. So that's kind of kind of why I kept, or that's how I get nervous now. Is like not every race I'm in, I'm going to win, and I realize that now because there's so many good guys. And sometimes people just get the best of you. Like you might be more fit than someone. You might be, you might be better than the other person, but they either recovered better and, or they just had their day. And when someone beats you, you know, you just, you know, tip your hat to them and it's, it's out of respect, but I'm still there to win. Even when there's guys much better than me. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, even going forward, like I'm going to be in races now that there's guys running 358, 359, four lows. And I'm the 407 guy behind them, but I'm going to be giving them a run for their money. That's, that's, that's why we're here. Like we're all here to compete. And that's, I think that's the nature of our sport. And uh, I, I think that's why a lot of people love it is there's, there's so much competitiveness to it, but there's also so much respect. There's not like, there's not a lot of beef in track. Like that's one thing I've, I've realized there's, there's really not um, a lot of people like the running community in general is just very supportive of each other. Everyone's just wants to see the other person do good. And they want you to do good as well. Um, so that's another reason why I just, I mean, I fall in love with track. I Like I wasn't originally planning on doing it in high school, but now it's like, it's all, it's my whole life. Like it's consumed me. So um, I, yeah, I just, track is, is the great sport for friendly competition and just competition in general. Yeah, no, I can, I can definitely agree to that. And uh, yeah. going for, like, whenever I was in high school, I used to think like, I can't think of a single person that I've ran against that I'm like, yeah, he was kind of a douche. Like there's like <laughs> no one uh, in my mind that I could really think of. 
I'm not going to lie, though. Uh, the more that I have learned about running, the more I've realized that that's not necessarily true. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, sadly, I, I like just, you know, knowing more people and running, I've realized like, well, you know, not everyone out there is a nice person. <laughs> true. And uh, true. not. Yeah. But like, you know, for the most part, no, I completely agree with you. Like running is like the running community as a whole, like if like mm-hmm. is like only wants to see good from everyone, which is, uh, which is just like, yeah, I mean, that's definitely not like in basketball. That's not in football. Like that's, that's just not the same, but no, yeah, I agree mm-hmm. with that. And, uh, I don't know. I just, that's all I really want to say. Yeah, no, I get it. There, there definitely is some people out there who will rub you the wrong way. Um, <laughs> But for the most part, like <laughs> only once in a while, you see a clip of someone getting pushed on the track from another runner. And uh, it's entertainment for sure. It's definitely our sport would be yeah. much more watched if uh, people were throwing elbows and punches in the race. But <laughs> quite frankly, that's not happening. Yeah, no, I always uh, or I wouldn't say always, but like this, like while whenever I got in college, I was like, you know, they should make like an event for track where it's like you, you have to box while you run. Cause I feel like that that could get like more engagement yeah. with the crowd and everything. But like, obviously like, I mean, that's just, that would be a little extreme. Uh, it would still yeah. be fun to watch, but you know, it's just, that's it. That would be like a Red Bull extreme sport or something. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It would be UFC and track combined in one. <laughs> be crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I definitely agree that like, if there was any beef in high school with me, it was only because I was making it up in my head to like try and mm-hmm. motivate myself more. Like you know, what I mean? <laughs> like yeah, yeah, elbow, I like, and I took that personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That's funny. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I totally get that. Yeah, it's there. There is a lot of things in your head where, like, you just want to beat someone else because you want to beat them. Like yeah. you simply just want to beat someone else, and uh, yeah, it could <laughs> it could definitely be like after the race someone gets the best deal and you're just like ah, i don't want to talk to you or something like that i've, I've definitely <laughs> yeah. i've definitely had that happen where um like my senior year in in cross country in high school uh the ex-state champion uh he won it the year prior easily like he beat my brother um who my brother was actually a state champion in the 800 and got third or second in cross country so my brother was a beast and uh but that kid beat him. Uh, I'm slipping on his name, but uh, he won the year prior. And uh, going into that senior year, he uh, we raced two times in like regular season meets, and I beat him by like 40 seconds. And uh, he didn't shake my hand once all season. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, it's always gonna be those and, guys. Yeah, and but I loved it because I knew I, <laughs> I really got got him mad. There was one story I remember, and like. I'm not saying people should be cocky in races, but, you know, if you're confident, you know, do what you need to do. So one thing I did, it was the very first race of the year where I was going against the state champion. And uh, I knew he was going to, well, we didn't know he was going to be there, but they, we got there and then we saw their bus at the same meet. We're like, oh gosh, here we go, guys. This is going to be a battle. And uh, we start the race off and uh, me and him go out. We're way ahead of everybody else. And our coaches are at mile one. And I'm just letting this guy lead it. I was like, I just want to see kind of where his fitness is at. Cause I knew where mine was at. Um, Cause I time trialed a 1540 on the track, like a few weeks before going into the season. So I knew I was fit, but going into that race, I just was like, I didn't know where this guy's at. I don't know how this race is going to pan out, but I'm feeling really good going into mile one. And both of our coaches, my coach and his coach are standing at mile one together. And, uh, He's taking the lead and his coach has got this stopwatch out and he's talking to him. 
And then I look at my coach, he can't see it, um, but he can hear me. And then the other coach there can see my facial expressions. And we get to mile one and I look at my coach, I'm like, coach, I easily got this. <laughs> I don't, I said it out loud. I was like, coach, I got this, don't worry. And she just goes, okay. Like she says, okay. And then as soon as that happens, I just put down a surge and I ended up beating them by 40 seconds. So uh, it was, it, maybe that messed with them. Maybe that uh, put them in the mud a little bit, but uh, <laughs> that's, I haven't done, actually, I did do another situation like that in the 800 at the, at UP finals against the state champion in that event who beat my brother. Again, the people who beat my brother, I don't know. Maybe it was just because they beat my brother that I was mad at him. That's funny. But uh, like going into the 200 meters to go, I was leading the whole race. I came through in 60 and I'm coming around 300 meters. And then I get to like in between 300 meters and 200 meters. So about one or 250 meters to go, the state champion runs, makes a huge surge and gets right onto my shoulder and I can hear him coming. So I pick it up so he doesn't pass me. And I look over at him. I said, hey, nice job, buddy. And then I just, oh, then, I kicked, then, and then I kicked out and then uh, beat him by, uh, I don't know, two seconds or something like that. I mean, it's, it's definitely not, it probably rubbed him the wrong way, but it was just my way of like, I'm not going to lose um, in, the, in those situations. But <laughs> don't, I'm not encouraging people to go in, uh, you know, trash talk in the race. But if you could do a little bit of something, to get in the other person's head, why not? It's only it's only your benefit. Yeah, I love that. I really do. That's awesome. <laughs> it makes it, it makes definitely makes it like a little more. I don't know. It almost makes it a little bit more fun as well. You know, yeah, and it also absolutely. gives you a little bit of that. Like I know when I've like, you know, I've talked out loud or like to my head, like to myself in a race. Like I only get like, you know, it only get you it only gives you a little bit more of an adrenaline boost to like, especially kicking mm -hmm. in. But, yeah. yeah, I was gonna say, uh, like, I mean, that's a that is a mental tactic that you you use, and like, I don't know, do you have any other like mental things that you try to uh, implement whenever you race? Yeah, I guess uh, one thing that I've really uh, uh, started to learn um, once once the races became a little bit more competitive, let's just say now at the low four minute mile pace, um, there's gonna be races where you're just not feeling good, like you're just not feeling good, like. I, I, I can remember a few races where it goes out and we come through in like 60, 61 and it's only 400 meters in and I'm already hurting. But I see the guy ahead of me and I'm just like, okay, I just need to stay with this guy for the next 50 meters and then the next 50 meters. And you just keep telling yourself the next 50 or 100 meters, whatever you need. And you just stay on him, stay on him. Because as soon as you leave them, you kind of ruin your race because then your mechanics go to crap. And then also you're just, you just see the gap going farther and farther. And then you know that uh, you kind of give up mentally. So then the longer you can stay in that position of attack where you know that, okay, we got 200 meters left or 400 meters left. Okay. Now I can try to win this thing. Cause I'm here. So it's, it's been a, a tough a coach boss, uh, Parkside uh, head coach. He's had a tough time trying to get me to, do that and engage in the races. But I finally figured out just from practice trial and error that you have to stay on people that you're trying to beat and people who are trying to set times that you know that they're going to run. Uh, you just got to stay on them as long as possible. And even though it's brutal sometimes and you're ready to give up with, you know, 800 meters to go, 
you just keep going another 50 meters, another 50 meters. And I found myself doing that in so many races. And for, you know what, it's 200 meters to go and I'm still on their shoulder. Um, and that's, that's kind of the best, uh, strategy that I take into these races, like going into this, I race the three K this Friday and, uh, like it's a, it's division one. Like there's going to be a lot of good guys and we're training hard. Like today I did, um, uh, three sets of one K 600, 400. Um, and then I did a 600, 400, 200 after that. So, and then we're going to do another session on Wednesday, two days before the race. So I know I'm going to be tired going into it, but no matter what, like in my head, I'm still going to go there and I'm going to pick out guys. I'm going to look at the heat sheets, do my own research, see what these guys are made of. And then just be like, okay, that guy, I am going to stick on him as long as possible. And if I feel good, I'll pass him and go to the next guy. And that's just kind of my mindset going into this is you just pick someone who you think that you can, you can hang with and, or pick someone a little bit better than you. Cause obviously if you pick someone a little bit better than you, you're going to bring the best out of yourself. And that's, that's kind of what my strategy is going to be. That's always going to be my strategy now. Cause now I'm unfortunately not in a race where I could just go and win. Like I'm fortunately in a race that I'm going to have to really, really earn every position I get. I mean, even not taking last in a race is sometimes, you know, all you can do, um, but it's giving it your best shot. And that's the only way in my experience to give it your best shot. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what races are all about. Just earning every spot. And, you know, I mean, yeah, there are days where like, you're going to finish middle of the pack and it's gonna be like, mm -hmm. it's gonna be a great day, especially like given some mm -hmm. circumstances, like, you know, as long as you're getting the best out of yourself on every day then it sounds it sounds like it's working but um yeah yeah i think i think this is a pretty good place for us to stop i mean i've really really enjoyed this conversation it was yeah awesome yeah, yeah i loved it absolutely yeah, loved it absolutely loved it so we want to thank uh uriah for coming on and you know we hope you had a good time man i know we've loved speaking yeah. to you um absolutely yeah no thank you thank you guys for uh for having me on and i'm glad i was able to share some of my stories and uh, give you guys some information that you've probably never heard. So it's, it's always good stuff. Oh, yeah. and there's some, there's so many people out there who've got crazy stories and you guys are doing a great job and trying to capture that. And, uh, you know, also learn for yourself, but also learn for your audience or, you know, give your audience something to, to watch. And I love it. So you guys are doing a great job. I'm looking forward to see how you guys continue to grow. And then also I got to find you guys on, uh, on Tifers and I got to see how you guys are doing and then, uh, you know, support you guys along the way. Cause yeah. you know, it's just runner runners looking out for runners and, uh, yeah, it's, it's all good stuff. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, yeah. We'll, you know, runners support each other and yeah, you no, know, we'll, uh, we'll have to stay updated with each other and, you know, we really appreciate you, uh, you saying all that about us. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. anyway, everyone, thank you for listening. It's been another episode of the run happy podcast and we will catch everyone next time. Thank you.